Welcome to North Liberty Library's Love, Light, and Lit, the podcast, a series of universal talks gently guided by open hearts and open minds. Listen to ignite the light in you and to appreciate the light in others. Hello, I'm Kelly with North Liberty Library, and I thank you for joining us today on Love, Light, and Lit, the podcast. You can also catch Love, Light, and Lit on Facebook Live every Monday at 12 noon Central. Be sure to follow North Liberty Library on Facebook to get notifications. As a librarian and a writer, I come across many books in my daily life. One title that inspired today's show, First and Only, by Jennifer R. Farmer, is one of my favorite nonfiction reads of the past year. While Farmer's book speaks specifically to the experiences of Black women in the workplace, First and Only is a term that originated long before the stellar read. It describes the uniqueness of being the only representative of your race, gender, orientation, or any combination of them in your organization. I have been there and so has today's guest. Wanda Johnson is a problem solver and leader driven by curiosity. She is successful in various ventures, including her business at your service corridor community. She is a passionate teacher, mentors other aspiring entrepreneurs, and recently launched a blog. She is a single mom of one and has several other projects in progress. Today, Wanda is going to share her experience with being a first and only, not only in her professional life, but in her personal journey as well. Welcome, Wanda. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for asking me to be here today. Absolutely. Just to let you know, this is my first podcast and it has started a speaking movement for me. I'm scheduled to be on another one later this month and three other to be announced in-person speaking engagements, all regarding my new venture, which I will talk more about later. Absolutely. Well, I am so happy that Love, Light, and Lit is the first podcast for you, and I look forward to listening to you on other platforms as well. So before we begin, I do want to thank you in advance for sharing your story with our audience. It is a unique story, but it's also common, especially among women of color. Would you begin by telling us just a little bit about yourself? Actually, I was born in Rockford, Illinois, but spent most of my life in Memphis, Tennessee. My ex-husband and I moved to Cedar Rapids in January of 08. The next part always surprises people. So we decided just to pull out a map, pick a state. I secretly was aiming for Iowa because I know a lot of the school-related research I did always indicated the Department of Iowa on it. So I knew the school systems here had to be awesome. I was offered a job at Mediacom the week before we were just going to wing it here. And then we packed what we could in the car, put the remainder in storage, found a furnished apartment and lived in that for a couple of months until we figured out where we wanted to be and been here since. Wow. So you just picked Iowa off a map and you've been (laughs) here ever since. Been here ever since. He moved to Arizona last year with his wife 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, just a random pick. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm so glad that you chose to be here. I'm so glad that you and I connected. I know you and I connected at several events. It was first back in October of 2021 okay. at the uh, local NAACP forum at the African American Museum of Iowa. And then we reconnected again last month at U conferences. So yes. yeah, yeah, I'm so glad that you're here and that we're talking today. Now, before we dig into the professional part of your journey, I want to talk a bit about the personal side, because I think that as Black women navigating predominantly white spaces, like the state of Iowa, we all have that moment, or, you know, maybe a culmination of moments where we realize that we've been othered on a human level. Tell us about your personal experiences in that arena. In Iowa, or Cedar Rapids, I should say, it's actually been pretty pleasant. A lot of it's happened in Memphis. Total different story when I lived there. I was the first African-American female to graduate from my high school, a class of 48 people. My mom made sure she even put a page in the yearbook stating that I was the first African-American female to graduate from there. And it was a private school. I went there from 10th through 12th. The first African-American male graduated the year before me. Wow. Um, Out of the whole high school, there was one other African-American male who was a year under me, but he had been there since kindergarten and he was biracial. And so his mom and dad were still together. His mom was white, his dad was black. Wow, that is, so to be the first African-American to graduate from a high school system. And I think you and I are about the same age. So this was like mid nineties. Yeah, 96, I graduated in 96 as well. In the middle of Memphis, yeah, the private school. (laughs) Wow, that is amazing. But- Again, all too common. And that's why it's so important for us to have these stories and these conversations on this platform. The way they treated me, though, was definitely not pleasant. I mean, I was just talking to my sister about it the other day. Mm -hmm. And I know I've told in different scenarios at different times, but a lot of my family, I don't think I've even told them that, you know, I used to get spit on walking through the hallway in class, Mm -hmm. you know, all these different things. A couple of them friended me. I mostly made friends with the younger underclassmen. One of them is still my best friend as of today. But when we went on our senior trip to the Virgin Islands, the ritual is to get a section of your hair braided and wrapped with colorful threads. Mm-hmm. The lady asked me, what are you mixed with? And I said, black and white. And I wish I could have just videotaped the look on their face when they realized that I was biracial. And so they were just, well, your mom and dad are black and all your siblings are, you know, dark skin. I'm like, well, that's my stepdad, <laughs> you know, yeah. and things. And so then they started like being friendly with me and wanted to be my friend and be nice. And, you know, it was past the point. Of right. doing that really. So but it I wasn't still- until they realized that you were half white, that they wanted to engage you with any civility. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And again, just to remind the audience. You graduated from high school in 1996. I graduated from high school in 1996. This was not that long ago. And these attitudes are still persistent. So moving on from your personal journey, how did those experiences fuel your professional growth? Did you see those attitudes remain throughout your professional career? And if so, how? And of course, in any context that you feel comfortable sharing. Oh, I'm pretty open book. I mean, I can talk about anything anybody want to ask me. I'm fine with talking about it, but it did prepare me 
for my life in Cedar Rapids because growing up in Memphis, it is a predominantly Black community. Even though there, I was definitely shunned and Black women automatically assumed that I was Mm. snobby or self-centered because I was biracial. Hmm. So when I moved here, going to predominantly white schools, I was able to adapt quicker here versus especially black women who grew up like in Chicago or Memphis, all black. And then they come to the city, all white, and they went to public school and never was very interactive with different nationalities, you know, different races. It did prepare me for that and help me build a thick skin, I guess, to some of those mentalities that I dealt with in high school and things like that. And it still kept me humble. A lot of it wasn't their fault. They didn't know (laughs) what they were doing. Mm -hmm. I just still kept staying connected and things like that. Because even out of my 12 years here, I'm still majority of the time, the only African-American at events here. Yeah. And so, but that didn't stop me from joining groups. I joined American Businesswoman Association, Cedar Rapids Charter Chapter. I started off with their social media and website, became vice president, woman of the year. And then I was the first African-American woman chapter president for their chapter. And that leadership helped me prepare for my role recently as first African-American PTO president in my daughter's elementary school. And so I'm ex officio right now because I was president last year. Wow. Yeah, just so many experiences of being the first and only. And I can definitely relate to that. You and I have talked numerous times about this, especially in preparation for this podcast episode. Do you feel that as a first and only when another woman of color, especially an African-American woman comes into the fold, do you automatically feel like you need to usher them in to kind of prepare them for what that space looks like? What do you feel like your role is when you do encounter other women of color, especially African-American women in your professional settings? I try to make sure when I do attend events, if I am the only one, you know, I know people don't know what they don't know. So, you know, I try to get with the person who coordinated the event or was advertising the events. Mm-hmm first to make sure that they're including everybody so there can be other people like me. And then I try to reach out or make sure I'm mentioning it and try to at least have one-on-one conversations or, you know, online or texting to make them feel comfortable what the event is. They don't have to be intimidated when they come in because the quarter community is definitely in the white community here. Mm -hmm. It's curious and they'll ask questions. And as long as you have that natural persona that you're willing to help them understand, you know, what you need, what you don't need. They're welcoming to that. And that's the thing, like, I think the black women here automatically feel intimidated, like they're not going to be understood or they're not going to be accepted going to these events. And that's not the case Mm -hmm. at majority of the events I go to, they're automatically welcoming and they do want to reach out to the other community. So I try to help sometimes with that too, giving them resources and giving them ideas of how they can reach out. So the information will get out to those other platforms that everybody's looking at to get those women in and maybe having a different topic or, you know, being more open, which is kind of what's launched me doing my blog. And I'm actually calling it IBEAD um, part of my business, which is inclusion, belonging, equity, accessibility, and disability. Mm. because a lot of individuals and organization businesses aren't realizing that the way they're maybe wording things or the way they're not wording things is not including 
you know, African-American or other people of different nationalities or genders or even accessibility, it may get interpreted differently. Sure. And so they feel intimidated. They don't want to come mm-hmm. or sure that they're going to be able to be included or things like that. So that's actually has led off to some of the ventures that I'm kind of starting to look at and do. Absolutely. And I am glad you brought up some of the apprehension that some Black women in predominantly white spaces may feel about being parts of boards and parts of organizations. Because I think, and I've definitely experienced this, and maybe you have too. So I'm interested in hearing what you think about this. But I think some of that apprehension comes from do these organizations want me to be a part of their team because of my ideas and my education and my experiences and what I bring to the table? Or are they checking a box? Are they checking a diversity box? If they have my black or brown face on their board, is it because of the way I look and what I represent from a diversity perspective? Or is it because of my ideas and my experiences? How should women of color and Black women in particular, navigate that? How do you determine the organizations who truly want your ideas versus the organizations who just want to check a box? Yeah, now that you said that, I can see how that can be interpreted that way. And I think it's kind of in the middle because they can't reach the African-American demographic if they don't know how or what to say. They need somebody to bounce that stuff off of to learn, like I know, The Academy for Scholastic and Personal Success launched a critical conversation group session, and it's every two weeks that they are including wanting people, you know, to come and learn the different things about, you know, African-American culture and just the various topics to know how to be an ally and advocate to know how to communicate and do that. But you just have to have that personality or persona when you go to them that you're being open-minded you're mm-hmm. wanting to educate them like I said they don't know what they don't know one you won't know if you don't go right you can't just automatically assume and just stand back and then find out later that that's not what it was and you missed out on a lot or sometimes right. you never know because it doesn't come back around so as long as you have that mindset when you go in I'm just going to go see you know like walk around and see what the prices is like in a store and find out oh, that's a little more pricier than I thought, but you wouldn't know if you didn't ever walk in at least. So just being open-minded, you know, and just going in and seeing, you know, what you're looking for, what your criteria, what you need, Mm -hmm. and you'll at least one person in there network with. And that's always my goal too, is to find one person, you know, make one connection and learn one thing. And if you make that one connection to kind of be able to find out a little more about that group or that organization or that business, then you'll know for sure if it's something you need to look at or not. And they may not even know that they're giving off interpretation either. Yeah. Because I think sometimes when you're in predominantly white spaces and they want inclusion, either there can be kind of an eagerness That can be misinterpreted as, oh, you just want a black or brown face in the seat. Mm -hmm. And so I agree. It's so important to really navigate, you know, what the organization is. I think for all of us, for all people, time is money. So ascertain if you have the time to dedicate to the board. And once you make that determination, take a look at any efforts that they've done and see, you know, have they engaged Black and brown businesses? Have they engaged people of color who own local businesses and run local organizations? Have they done that work? Or is this hunt 
for a more diverse board or a more diverse organization, their first effort. I think that's a very telltale sign because I've been with many organizations and boards who have done that work previously before approaching me for a position or for an opportunity. And I've also been approached by organizations and boards who have done no work and are looking actively for black and brown faces on their board. So it really is about doing I think Black women, we need to do our homework before we join these organizations and boards to make sure that they really want us for our ideas and not for our skin color. So Mm -hmm. very, very good. Now, I want to talk about your work as a business owner. Your organization, again, is called At Your Service Corridor Community. Mm -hmm. Now, as a business owner, as well as your dedicated outreach in the Cedar Rapids community, Tell me a bit about how you navigate those situations. So this is kind of a different question than before. So before it's considering whether or not you want to be a part of the meeting or a part of the conference, now that you've made that decision to be a part of that, how do you navigate those situations when you are in a first and only status? Like how do those meetings look? How do you kind of prepare yourself to bring yourself to that first meeting or that first conference as a first and only? So I know one thing I still keep in the back of my mind, people don't know what they don't know. They'll come to me like, what should we say? What should we do? You know, and things like that. But they come to me genuinely wanting to know. And I know I just have that natural persona that people feel comfortable to come talk to me and ask me questions. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's bad because it could be a line in the grocery store, not even looking at anybody. And they'll just start right. a whole conversation telling me their whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but It's been good for me, too, because I have been able to help, you know, different people understand and navigate that because especially in the quarter, they genuinely want to learn and they just automatically get defensive. It can happen on both ends, you know, on the white side and on the black side. And I know the good thing about the way I handle things, I don't see myself either side. I'm just here to help whoever and whatever nationality, demographic, whatever, navigate all of that and be unbiased and see both sides and voice it the way they need to hear it and understand it and reach out to get those other women and men and children to whatever it may be to start coming to things and not be intimidated and opening it up more Mm -hmm. because there is other topics that need to be mentioned if they want to have a speaker, you know, that they probably didn't even think of that that will be things that will open it up to those other people that will come because they're not focused on just these one specific things. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that you mentioned being open and that is so important. Mm -hmm. I think that one of the caveats of being a woman of color moving in professional circles that are predominantly white is kind of finding that balance between being open and engaging and also being discerning. And sometimes, you know, depending on the situation, we may lean a little bit more to one side of that coin than the other. But it really is about that balance of, you know, first of all, knowing your worth when you walk into a room, knowing that you are not there to be adornment, you are not there to be decoration, you are there to contribute. And obtain what you need to obtain too. Yes, and learn about the organization. So yeah, that balance is so tricky. But yeah, knowing your worth, knowing the worth of the organization that you're working with and making sure that you're speaking up too. I think sometimes the intimidation factor can get in there sometimes where we feel like, well, this is my first time at the meeting, so I'm not going to say anything, or, you know, maybe they'll just 
ask me like the black question and then I can answer that or, you know, any kind of combination of those kind of apprehensions that we feel. But I really think it really starts from knowing your worth and also understanding the organization that you're going into. Because like you said, you don't know what you don't know. So Mm -hmm. making sure that you're researching the organization or the board that you're signing up for or the job that you're interviewing for, making sure you're really looking at the culture of that organization so that you understand exactly the kind of dynamic that you're walking into. Absolutely. Just because you do the research, that's overall. That's Mm -hmm. not meaning the people that are actually participating in the board or the interview because they sometimes can't influence what's out there in the public on some mm-hmm. of those platforms either. Yeah. So you still have to go in with an open mind. And even if you have to write down those reminders, those you know points that you want to make sure that you cover or that you obtain or that you remind yourself, you know, okay, I'm here for these reasons. Yeah. So you don't go off into the tangent in your mind because we are worst on our mind. And it's so important. And I like what you said about that, writing it down. Don't be afraid to write it down on a post-it, even if it means walking in with your planner and having that post-it that has Mm -hmm. your purpose and your why. Remembering your why in all aspects of life is so important. And especially when we're entering new spaces Mm -hmm. where we feel a little apprehension, where we feel a little intimidation, when we're walking into those new spaces, it is so important to remember our why. So writing it down, fantastic advice. So what are some resources you would recommend? And this is kind of twofold because I feel like there are resources that we can recommend for women of color who are navigating these experiences. And then there are resources that we can recommend for white people who are seeking to engage women of color in their professional world. So what are some resources that both of those populations, and they can be different resources, do you think that they can gain more knowledge from? Of course, mine is always being open-minded and constantly learning. You're never done learning. That's Mm -hmm. the one thing too. But staying in your comfort zone of resources, context, and your mindset doesn't help anyone or yourself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, looking at all the opportunities, so many opportunities here in the corridor. And if you can stretch between Waterloo all the way to Iowa City and have availability during the day, like mine's a little different because my daughter's schedule and things like that. But if you're open to do that, it's really endless of how much (laughs) there is out there that you can have access to that you can attend. But I notice a lot of people don't attend events because the topic isn't, you know, a hundred percent what they need or what they're wanting at the moment. Mm -hmm. But if you look at it as you're making a connection, you're building your resources, you know, you start off on the people, you know, it's not always what, you know, then. So keeping that open mind and just attending events, because even when you attend events or anything, they don't even realize it could be one thing they said, isn't even pertaining to the topic specifically, like what I just mentioned a minute ago about writing down your whys and, you know, having that visual that goes across the board. That's not even just for what we're talking about today. So even getting those little nuggets and things, when you go to events, making sure you do that. Now I always try to find the good in everything. So with COVID, one of the good angles is so many things are virtual now. So you can attend numerous things in the corridor, even national and get those nuggets and that network and those other things. Cause you never know who knows who, because I run into a lot of people here that is from Memphis or know somebody in Memphis. I mean, it was one time I was talking to somebody that her grandmother lives in Finger, Tennessee, where my best friend lives. 
best town is small as it can be. <laughs> Here in Cedar Rapids, I met somebody whose grandmother lives there. And I'm like, what is the odds of that? So you never know who knows who. Yeah. You know, and just moving here, we didn't know a single person. I said, pulling out a map and picking a random place. If I hadn't been looking in the penny saver, you know, Eventbrite and a lot of websites just market their events on their website. It isn't always on these, you know, like Hoopla, penny yeah. saver, but just navigating to all these different things that you want to maybe possibly be interested in. Just going on the website and seeing what events they have and attend if it's open to the public or if it's not try to find out you know do you allow you may just have to email do you allow at least one outside person you know visit and say why or whatever it may be you never know i was just talking to somebody that in mount mercy they have a dei strategic type event and i was like we never thought about opening that to the public we just offered it for students and staff I'm like no that's something i would like to yeah, attend also exactly. and so you never know if you don't ask either, you know, there's no stupid question, learn that in kindergarten, but, you know, just reaching out to those podcasts, as you know, now is popular. And I just started listening to podcasts about two years ago. The first one was stuff you should know yeah, on my long nine, 10 hour travel tenant Memphis a couple of years ago. And now I have a lot of podcasts that I listen to on various topics because there's different things I want to learn to obtain. Mm-hmm. So mentioning it now, I'm going to add it to my list of resources, podcasts that I listen to and why. So we'll be sure to add those to the show notes as well, because this has just been an awesome conversation. So Wanda, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm very confident our audience gained some good information here. Where can our listeners learn more about you and your work at your service? In my blog that I started, Wanda's Tidbits. I'll be covering a variety of topics, including like just my experiences, my knowledge and life hacks of all the random stuff I've crammed in my brain somehow. (laughs) (laughs) And some of the topics would be like, you know, I deal with some rare disorders, being an advocate for me and my daughters and our different searches for answers, my experience of not having family in Iowa, work life paradox, my various business ventures and things. And definitely tips. I'm a techie person, so, mm-hmm. but I'm good at simplifying technology. And that's what I do when I teach my continuing ed classes at Kirkwood. So I'm going to have those on my blog and different resources and things. And then my daughter has decided to guest blog also. My ventures of taking her to things because she was even the youngest attendee at the Women's Lead Conference at six weeks old. She mm-hmm. went to that with me. And <laughs> you met her at the African American. I Museum. did. Yes. <laughs> she was there and was even trying to recruit people to purchase Girl Scout candy. <laughs> <laughs> so recently she wants to do fashion design and she's asked classmates to come together with her to launch this. They've already like decided where they're gonna move. They've already started like drawing design dresses. So she asked me this past weekend, would I help her create a logo and like position titles? So I actually drafted and printed it the other day for her. She took it to school. Oh, that's awesome. I know our audience can't see it, but yes, very awesome. (laughs) So she's really happy about that. And it's just from being around me and, you know, realizing those type of things. So she's got a guest blog on my blog too, but I'm planning to sync a calendar. There's so many variety of events that I like to attend, even for kids, because there's so many things for them to learn about. So I'm planning to do that and slowly regrouping my Facebook and website, especially with my IBED, IBEAD 
ventures that I'm going to be starting with doing that. Awesome. Well, we will definitely include links to your blog and other resources to the show notes. And as you continue with your podcasting guest spots, definitely keep us posted. We'll post those as well on the show notes for this show. So again, thank you so much, Wanda, for joining us today. This is Kelly, and this has been Love, Light, and Lit, the podcast presented by the North Liberty Library. Today, we talked with Wanda Johnson about being the first and only navigating race and gender in the workplace. Check out the show notes from today's episode to find out more about her work and resources. Also, please visit our website at northlibertylibrary.org for additional programming and services. Thanks for listening.